you would please stand with me. This morning, we uh, will be looking at uh, Ezra chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, but I've changed the title to Be of Good Courage. I appreciated David Mulding's prayer this morning as he emphasized God's word in his prayer. I wanted to remind you the reason you are standing right now. The reason why you were standing earlier is in honor and respect for God's word. And we say that a lot. We say God's word all the time. But I want you to realize that when you hear, whether it be Matt or Kevin or me, reading God's word, you are hearing the actual words He is speaking directly to you this morning through his word. Isn't that amazing? So let's hear from the Lord. Ezra 10, 1 through 4. Now when Ezra had prayed, <coughs> excuse me, when Ezra had prayed, and when he had confessed, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of men and women and children, for the people wept very sore. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, answered and said unto Ezra, We have trespassed against our God, and have taken strange wives of the people of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel concerning this thing. Now, therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives and such as are born of them, according to the counsel of my Lord and of those that trembled at the commandment of our God, and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for this matter belongeth unto thee. We also will be with thee. Be of good courage and do it. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful this morning to enter into your house as your people together in your name to come and to praise you, to come to hear your word, to come to be encouraged and strengthened and built up. Father, we pray today for the ministry of your word and your spirit. We are thankful that the promise is your spirit will lead us into all truths. That your word will be truth. That it will comfort our hearts. That we will be joyful at its hearing, at its reading, and at its preaching. Lord, we pray today that you will take this word and you will drive it deep into our hearts and that you will use this word to change us, to make us more and more like Jesus, the living word. Father, we pray for the blessing upon your word this morning in our midst. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Last week we talked about verses 1 and 2 and that this was yet another example of God working in their midst. That all that he had done for them, delivering them out of Babylon, across the desert, into Jerusalem, all that he had done, and yet there was still sin in the camp. But we see in the first couple verses of this passage that God continued to move in their midst. Last week we talked about repentance being a gift of God, similar to faith being a gift of God. And I appreciate here that we have Ezra as a leader repenting and being on his face before the Lord. We see a great congregation of men and women and children Repentance and revival was sweeping through the camp. We even see Shechaniah who repeats what they have, how they have sinned. He turns his face towards heaven and says, We have trespassed against our God. We have taken strange wives of the people of the land. And then he says something, he says something that is very powerful. I like that he says it to Ezra, who is on his face. I like it that he is saying it to the congregation that are weeping and weeping and weeping. And he says, though it is true that we have sinned, it is true that we have taken strange wives of the land, yet... Now there is hope in Israel concerning this thing. There is hope in Israel concerning this thing. I didn't focus much on this last week. We were really looking at repentance being a gift from God. But I want to camp here for just a little bit. Because there's some really interesting things going on here in the midst of this repentance. Shechaniah is pointing to hope. But he's not just pointing to a generic hope. This isn't faith in faith. This isn't hope in hope. This isn't if we do better Things will go well for us. No, it's really interesting because this word for hope is not the normal Hebrew words for hope. It's a strange little word that gets translated as hope here. I want to show you that there are four places in the Old Testament that use this word. Three of them use the word in the same way, and then in another place, this word is translated into probably more what we would consider a secure dwelling place. 
But the other three times it is used, once here in our passage and twice in Jeremiah, if you want to turn and look, I think you're going to want to remember this. Jeremiah 14, 8. Because this hope is talking about a person. This hope is pointing to the Messiah. This hope is the captives, those who have returned from Babylon. They understand, at least Shechaniah does, and he's reminding the people, that there is only one hope in and for Israel. And that's in the Prince of Peace, the coming Messiah. Jeremiah 14.8 says, Oh, the hope, that's our word, Oh, the hope of Israel, the Savior thereof in time of trouble. Why shouldest thou be a stranger in a land and as a wayfaring man that turneth aside to tarry for a night? Oh, the hope of Israel, the Savior thereof. And in Jeremiah 17, when Israel is struggling with their sins, Jeremiah 17, 13 says something similar. It says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, that's our word, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee will be ashamed. Shechaniah is reminding the people that there is hope in Israel. And you and I would know him as Jesus. He is pointing to the promise of the Messiah King. And it's interesting as you study through this concept of hope um, in the Old Testament, in, in the Hebrew words, the, the concept of hope is always at least making an allusion out to the Messiah. If you want to, turn with me to Psalm 130, verses 1 through 8. Now this is uh, what they call a song of degrees. This would be one of those psalms that they would have sang as they went into Israel, as they went up into Israel for worship. There was a whole list of these psalms that they sang. These would have been part of the DNA of the Israelite children. They would have had these songs in their head. And they sang like this. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who should stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mightest be feared, that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say, more than they which watch for the morning. Let Israel hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption, and he shall redeem Israel 
from all his iniquities. With this phrase, there is hope in Israel. Shechaniah is bringing in the person of Jesus Christ. He is bringing in that he is the only hope for Israel. He is saying that this hope is based in mercy. This hope is based in the fact that our Lord forgives sin and does not hold those sins against us. When he removes them from us, he removes them as far as the east is from the west. It says, he shall redeem us from all our iniquities. Joel 3.16 reads like this. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth shall shake you ever feel like the heavens and the earth are shaken? But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. You see this? This is a really powerful phrase. Shechaniah is really telling them, put your trust in the Lord. We have sinned and we need to clean that up. And verse 3 talks about that. There's some things that we're going to have to do that will show that we are truly repentant. But he is telling them, do not be downcast. Hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord. You see this? But wait, it gets better. So the word in Hebrew that they translate most often as hope, or the word, yeah, it's close enough. The primary meaning for this word is a little odd to us until we think about it for a minute, because this word, the primary meaning in like traditional Hebrew usage uh, refers to a cord or a line. Think like a rope, right? And that is most often translated, that is the word most often translated as hope. Which seems a little strange, but, you know, if you were trying to climb up a tree that had a rope in it, you would be putting a certain amount of trust in this rope, right? You would have a certain expectation. You would have a hope that it would hold you up. Or if you tied an animal with a particular piece of rope or cord, you would be hoping that it would hold so that you wouldn't spend uh, the rest of the afternoon um, running around chasing down an, an animal. Right, Levi? He had a little experience with this recently. But I want you to see something here. Because in the book of Joshua, where the spies are um, dealing with Rahab, I'm just going to read it. We have Joshua 2.18. Behold, when we come into the land... Thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window, which thou did let's down, let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home with you. So this is the instructions 
that she receives. But in verse 21, the, 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 the word is changed there when um, Rahab speaks, and then there's a summary statement, and the, there's a very subtle change in the language. But in Joshua 2.21, it says, And she said, According unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed. And she bound the scarlet line in the window. See this? The word line there is the word that is usually translated in the Old Testament as hope. So as the Israelites were going to take the city, they told Rahab that if you put this line out your window, you and your whole household will be spared. And we see that by her actions, she had hope. She had an expectation. She had a trust in the Lord. She had heard of their God. And she feared Him. Now it is interesting to me that in the New Testament, through the inspiration of the Spirit, the New Testament writers often usually pick a Greek word that represents the concept in the Old Testament that they're trying to communicate. And often it causes them to use some words that are a little more obscure than what is normally used in everyday Greek. All right? But in the New Testament, this word hope carries both of these ideas with it, both as a person and as a concept, all right? It's connected to faith, it's connected to trust, it's connected to expectation, to confidence. So in Romans 15, 13, it says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. You see, we have the concept of hope. We have hope residing in a person. It's mentioned the God of hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. In 1 Peter, it reads like this. And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass your time of sojourning here in fear, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by the tradition of your fathers, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Hope showed up. In person, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. You see that? Our faith and our hope resides in God alone. 
We even see this as, as Jesus is born in Luke chapter 2. We see that this realization has come. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all the people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. See, Jesus coming in, in the flesh, hope being born into the world, was the promise to not only the people of Israel, but also to all the Gentiles. This is the hope that came into the world. This is the ultimate fulfillment of the blessing promised to Abraham that all the, all the families of the world would be blessed through his seed. And ultimately that takes place in the person of Jesus Christ. There is hope in Israel. Now as we continue to move through this passage, I already talked about verse 3 a little bit. I think I'm going to talk more about this in an upcoming sermon. We're not going to dwell on this too much. There's a covenant renewal going on here. They're repenting of their sins. They're turning away from them. They're trusting in the Lord's mercy. They're turning towards him. And all this is wrapped up in this battle that they are having with the people of the land, right? Are the Israelites ever going to win this battle against the people of the land? They fight them physically. Now they've taken them into their houses. And as I, as I talked about the language here last week around strange wives and that these may not be like an ordinary wife like we're thinking of, like a legitimate legal wedding, that this is more likely the commentaries, uh, not traditionally, um, predominantly lead this way, that these are adulterous women that the Israelites have taken in. These are harlots that Israel, the Israelites have taking it, taken in. And so now, inside the city of Jerusalem... Israel itself is playing the harlot by taking harlots into themselves. And I can't help but think of Rahab again as you have a harlot, a repenting harlot inside the city who put her hope and her trust in the Lord. I'm going to move to verse 4 here. It says, Arise, for this matter belongeth unto thee, and we will be with you. Be of good courage and do it. Arise is pretty simple here. It means stand up. Get up. It's time to do something. You're repenting. Now it's time to go. This matter belongs unto thee. He's saying, look, Ezra, this is, this is your burden that you have been asked to carry. You're repenting, and that is good, and you need to take this on, and you need to do the hard work that is related to the repentance. It also talks about all the people doing it as well. We also will be with you in what needs to be done. 
And then I'm going to focus a little on, or actually a lot, on be of good courage and do it. Be of good courage. This is what they're supposed to do. Be of good courage. And we've run into this word before. It was in Ezra uh, chapter 1 verse 6. And all they and all they that were about them strengthened their hands with vessels of silver and gold and with goods and with beasts and precious things. And then in Ezra 6.22, we have the word again, and kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria unto them to strengthen their hands in the work of of the house of God, the God of Israel. The Hebrew behind good courage means to be strong, to be strengthened, to be courageous, to overpower. All of this is leading us somewhere. As I'm studying through this passage, I'm reminding more and more, and we've talked about it some, but there are so many connections between this story and the story of the Exodus, of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, and then of them going into the land, right? And this was, this was a call to the children of Israel when, when Moses uh, was nearing the end of his life, it says that he, in uh, Deuteronomy 31, it says that he spake all these words unto Israel. And there's a lot of them, but at verse 6, 31 verse 6, he says, Be strong, there's our word, and of good courage, fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that goes with you. He will not fail you. He will not forsake you. Moses said to the people to be strong and of good courage and to not be afraid, for the Lord was going with them. And then in verse 7, Moses calls to Joshua specifically, stands him up in front of all the congregation, and charges him be strong. It's our word, and of good courage, for you must go with this people. But it is the Lord that goes before you, and he will not fail you, and he will not forsake you. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. So Joshua, knowing a good line when he hears one, as he's going into the land, he reminds the people of what Moses has told them and what, they, and what Moses has told him specifically. In Joshua chapter 1, he says, be strong and of good courage, only be thou strong and very courageous. Verse 9, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, neither be dismayed. Why? For the Lord thy God 
is with you. This is connected back to the hope, right? That it is the Lord's doing. It is the Lord that goes before us. So in, in this passage, in, in, in Ezra, we, it's translated, our word for strength in here, to be strong, is translated good courage. And then that same word in these passages with Joshua, um, there's be strong, our word, and then another one that is translated as good courage. All right? And you're like, wait a minute. Those are the same phrases, right? But the word in Joshua that is good courage means to be strong and, and courageous and to overcome. You see this? So to be strong and of good courage means to be strong and strong. It means to be courageous and courageous. It means to overcome and conquer. It means to be strong and courageous. But what does this look like? What does it look like to be strong and courageous? How does this play out in our lives? As we're walking by faith, what does this look like? And in all these references to Joshua, and all these similarities to the stories and the thinking of Rahab, we have a great example. See, because when we come up against trials and tribulations or stress or whatever the Lord is putting in our life, whatever he is calling us by faith to walk in, when we look at it, when we see it, when we know we're going to have to go through it, do we see it like the spies originally saw the giants in the land? We're like, whoa, I don't want any part of that. Or do we see it like the walls of Jericho? There is this idea all through the Old Testament. The children of Israel forgot it time after time after time. And it goes something like this. The Lord shall fight for you and you will hold your peace. Exodus 14, 14. The Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Isn't that an interesting phrase? And this shows up everywhere. Later in Exodus 14, three times in Deuteronomy chapter 1, chapter 3, chapter 20, all over Joshua chapter 10, all over Joshua chapter 23, and in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, a couple, couple different times. You guys know the story of Jericho, right? I'm going to try to tell it without any French peas or grape slushies, okay? But you guys know the reference? Don't worry about it. Okay. It's really a pretty simple story, but if you back up just a little bit, there's kind of one of those mind-blowing experiences 
in the scriptures, right? Chapter 5, verse 13 through 15. And it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And you know the response. He said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord of hosts said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua has been called to take the city of Jericho. And as he arrives, and he's looking at it, and he's summing it up, the angel of the Lord shows up, right? The captain of the host. And Joshua is rightfully afraid. And then he is reminded that he is here, that that angel, that captain of the host is here to fight for Israel. And Joshua falls on his face and worships. Now in chapter 6 it starts out, Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. They had closed all the walls. There was nobody going in and out. They knew that they were about to have a battle. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See? See? I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. Really? Because at this point, it looks like a giant fortress. Right? And the Lord is telling Joshua, do you trust me? Is this where your hope resides, or is it in the fighting men that are behind you? And so we know what happens, right? We get, we get the men of war, and we get the priests and their trumpets, and the Ark of the Covenant, and God tells them, on day one, walk around it one time. And then on day two, walk around it again. And the people are probably thinking, you know, this is a really long trip, and we have our kids with us, and we're carrying these heavy weapons, and we've got the horns. Really? Is this how we're going to do it? We're just going to walk around? And They obey. They do it on day three, and day four, and day five, and day six. And then on day seven, good news, change plans. Seven times. Around it seven times. No talking. But 
when you hear the trumpet's blast, when you hear, and that's, that's a symbol of praise to Jehovah, right? That's what that indicates. When you hear that trumpet blast, shout for joy, and the Lord will deliver the city into your hand. Now you're thinking, wait a minute, how do we get through the wall? You know, they don't have any battering rams. They don't have any siege towers built. They don't have any artillery pieces, which would be really handy. They have trumpets and swords and a giant wall in front of them. But you know what happens, right? The trump they go around seven times, the trumpets blast. And the walls fall down. So see, Israel has been asked to trust the Lord to tear down the wall of their enemies so that they can go in and secure the victory, right? What about Rahab? She's on the inside. She sees them walking around. She's probably thinking, really? <laughs> That's, that's it? That's what you guys are going to do? But then after the horn blast and the people shout, the walls begin to shake and the walls begin to fall. Now I'm thinking at this point, her family that is with her is thinking, Rahab, the whole place is shaken and we're all going to die. And Rahab has her rope out the window, right? She's saying, no, we have to stay right here, and we have to put our hope in the Lord. This is our hope, that we stand fast. Now, there's another story that's similar to this one. I don't think I'm going to go through it. Go home and read it to your kids. Jehoshaphat fighting the Ammonites and the Moabites, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Another great story. They put the singers out front and they wait for the salvation of the Lord, right? Great story. Because the Lord is fighting for them, right? Both at Jericho and for Jehoshaphat. The prophet Isaiah promised the people of Israel that in case they had forgotten because of all the sins that they had fallen into and the captivity that they'd been dragged into, Isaiah tells them, he says, For thus saith the Lord, I'm sorry, for thus hath the Lord spoken unto me, like as the lion and the young lion roaring on his prey, when a multitude of shepherds is called forth against him, he will not be afraid of their voice, nor abase himself for the noise of them. So shall the Lord of hosts come down to fight for Mount Zion. So will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. Defending also, he will deliver it. 
And in passing over it, he will preserve it. So all through this Old Testament history, there is one truth that everybody knows. They've seen it time and time again. Whether it's the plagues in Egypt, the walls falling at Jericho, or the enemies of Israel in Jehoshaphat's time fighting against themselves while the singers sang. We know this, that the Lord defends his people. The Lord will deliver his people. The Lord will preserve his people. He will not leave them. He will not forsake them. Because he loves them. And he is faithful to his covenant. There are so many connections between <laughs> these stories. Um, I'm not going to go through all those. Uh, let's see, where are we going? Oh, so we have Israel as they're taking on their enemies, right? And you have Rahab who wants to be Israel, who believes and is trusting in the Lord for salvation. What have they been told to do? Really not much of anything, right? The Israelites have to walk around. They have to be strong and courageous, which means walk around the city. Rahab has been called to be strong and courageous and to stand fast in one place and behold the power and the beauty and the glory of God's salvation. And these concepts are alive and well all through the New Testament. The New Testament takes this concept and it translates it as stand fast. All right? To stand firm in faith and duty. To be constant. To persevere. Steadfast in faith. And steadfast in our profession of Jesus Christ. And we find this in one of my favorite verses in all scriptures because it's quirky. 1 Corinthians 16.13 says this, Watch ye, keep a clear eye, right? Stand fast in the faith. And then this odd phrase, Quit you like men and be strong. And this is a perfect summary of the Old Testament concept of being strong and courageous. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, and be strong. Quit you like men was such a good Greek phrase that when they did the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it is that Greek that they used for good courage in those passages that I read you from Joshua. Do you see this? Stand fast. The Greek behind quit you like men is translated as good courage in the Greek Old Testament in our passages in Joshua. So when we come up against our enemies in their walled cities, what do we do? 
when we're the repentant harlot inside the city, what do we do? You see, there is hope in Israel. And you are called to stand fast. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 10, we read this. But we have this treasure in earthen in earthen vessels, which I appreciate that I was called clay-lipped this morning. That was great. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Let me say that again. That power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are cast down, but we are not destroyed. For we are always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Do you see this? He will never leave us or forsake us. The dying that we are experiencing is because we are in Christ and we are being called to suffer like Christ did. And if we suffer like he did, we will be raised to life like he was. I want you to see this from Romans 15. And again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and in him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. We think this is a New Testament concept that the Gentiles are brought in. This is quoting Isaiah, right? That the Gentiles would trust in the Lord. And that a root of Jesse, that he would come and reign over even the Gentiles. Now, if we think about this for just a minute, even the story that I have told around Jericho, do you see this? Abraham trusted in the Lord. He wasn't a Jew, he was a Gentile. In our story at Jericho, Rahab. Gentile. She's outside the camp. She's unclean as she can be. 
And yet the Lord comes and softens her heart, and she puts her faith and her trust and her hope out the window, right? She displays for everyone to see her hope is in Jehovah. And she is filled with joy and peace and hope. Boaz is descended from Rahab, right? And Ruth, a Moabitess, she's also outside the camp. And do you know where I'm going with this? Through Rahab and Boaz and Ruth, we get the root of Jesse. Jesus came through this line. He came through these people. The hope of Israel came through those who were outside the camp. Jehovah loves his people, Israel. Jehovah also loves those who are going to be Israel. You see, because what happens is God shows up. In these most terrible times, whether you're facing the giants in the land, whether your enemies have a big walled city, or whether you're Ruth, or whether you're, sorry, Rahab wondering, will God really forgive my sins? God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. There is our hope. We have been made alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And he has raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places together with Christ Jesus. It says, in Christ Jesus. The hope of Israel is Christ Jesus. And when you are made alive, you are in Christ. That is your hope. That is your strength. That is your courage. That is where you stand fast. See if I can wrap this up here. So in Philippians chapter 3, extending over to verse uh, 1 of chapter 4, for our conversation is in heaven. The way we live is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is our hope, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile bodies that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even 
to subdue all things unto himself. That means that he can take on the giants of the land. He can deal with the walls of Jericho. He can deal with the sins of a harlot. He can deal with the sins of Ezra's people and they're taking strange wives. Do you see this? He can even change your vile body into a glorious body like his. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, you are my joy and my crown. That's what Paul says. He says, stand fast in the Lord. Stand fast in the Lord. Stand fast in the Lord. And if we want to look back and say, what does that mean? What does it mean to stand fast? It means to praise the Lord, right? And be thankful. The spies who went into Canaan, they weren't thankful. They didn't want to take on that task. The trumpets sounded at Jericho, and the people shouted with a great shout of joy. The musicians <laughs> went out to battle for Jehoshaphat. They didn't fire a shot. They sang praise songs while the enemy destroyed themselves. And you know, this is exactly what Philippians is telling us. Paul tells us very clearly, therefore, my brethren, stand fast in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, in case you missed it the first time. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. He is near to you. No matter what you're going through, the Lord is at hand. You rest in Him. And do not be anxious about anything because you are resting in Him. He's got you. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. This is how we stand and fight. This is how we stand fast. This is how we are strong and courageous. This is how we put our hope in the Messiah. Because when it's too hard, we trust in him. And we know that he is at hand and that we are in him. And he is the captain of the host. See him with his sword, with his sword drawn, ready to deal with any of the problems you are facing. In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. And the peace of God, remember, 
The Lord will fight with us, and we are to hold on to the peace. We rest in that peace. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall what? Keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Is he asking you to go through hard things? Sort of. He's not asking you to go by yourself, is he? He's saying that you are in him. That is the power of God and not the power that you possess. It is an almighty God who is watching over a fragile jar of clay. And he tells you, you will not be broken. He will keep your hearts and your minds through the Lord Jesus Christ, the hope of Israel. So what is our battle cry? It's really quite simple. Lord, have mercy. Help us to stand fast. Lord, have mercy. Help us to stand fast. Let's pray. Father, how is it even possible that we as sinful humans have gathered together on your day and with our ears of clay we have heard your voice. We have heard the very words that you have spoken to us. Words of comfort and words of peace and words of mercy and words of grace and words of joy. Lord, we believe that your word is true. and We ask that you will help us heal our unbelief. our only hope, Jesus Christ.